Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. We're so happy you joined us today. We're in a series in the Gospel of John entitled, Behold Your God. So go ahead and let's turn to John chapter 14, John 14, and we're entitling this episode today from John 14, God's Peace in Troubling Times. Now, I'm recording this in, uh, what is this, October 2019, and I can tell you without going over specific events that when I'm recording this, we live in troubling times in America, but but also in the world at large. Maybe you live in another country and you're listening. As I record this, these are troubling times. One thing, though, that I can predict with certitude is that if you're hearing this later, like a year or two later or 10 years later, without a doubt, the times will be even more troubling in the future. But, you know, we can't control world events or even national events. We can't even really control things that happen in our own lives or our families many times. So there's always a circumstance, a, an environment in which we operate, and if we're not careful, we can allow the times in which we live, the circumstances in which we find ourselves, to dictate our peace. And this shall not stand. We cannot live at the mercy of what's going on around us. Especially if you are a believer in Christ, you do not have to live that way. And if you're not a believer in Christ, I just don't know how you make it through every day and every week with all of the troubling events around us. Well, as we go to John 14 and we begin to read that in a few moments, I want you to have this background before we get there. John 14 follows John 13. Thank you, Pastor Ed. Profound insight that I can only get it this week in the Word. All right, well, here's my point. Obviously, 14 follows 13, but it's what's in 13 that I want you to think about for a moment. The Lord is in the upper room with the disciples. They've had the what we call the Last Supper, and Christ has announced a new covenant that he is establishing. Judas has firmly decided to betray Christ, and he's been sent on his way, in fact, by Christ, and he's literally indwelt at this point by Satan. So Judas is gone. The Lord Jesus is in the upper room with 11 of the 12 disciples. Now, near the end of John 13, he tells them, oh, by the way, I'm about to go away. (laughs) Go away? What are you talking about? Why are you going away? Where are you going? And Peter sort of leads the charge on that. And at the end, he wants to know where the Lord's going, why he can't go. And in fact, If he had to do it, he would even be willing to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And Christ tells Peter at the end of John 13, sort of like we would say it today, really? You're going to deny that you even know me three times before the cock crows, you know, twice. So Peter at this point, not to mention the rest of the disciples, their heads have got to be spinning. Their hearts have got to be deeply burdened because the fellowship that they had enjoyed with the Lord Jesus Christ, in spite of all the troubles, they had come to realize that He is the Son of God. He is God Himself, the perfect God-man come to this earth to save sinners. So they were enjoying this relationship and fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And now... He has just told them that he's going to be going away, and where he's going, they can't come, at least not at this point. And he doesn't exactly explain the way they want. He doesn't explain where, and that they're they're all going to desert him, and Peter's going to even deny him. I mean, it's, it's about to be really bad. So... Whatever they were feeling up to this point, now they also knew that when Christ came into Jerusalem, he had set his face to go to the cross. So they were already troubled, and this is just like pouring gasoline on it and tossing a match in. Now it's like, what in the world is going on? So that's what I want you to see as we go here to John chapter 14. I want you to see the emotional upheaval, the troubling things that are going on around these disciples. And right in the middle of that, in John 14, 1, the very next verse, after he predicts that Peter will deny him three times, you know, that night, Jesus says, John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Wow. Now, Christ talks here about his peace. The peace that he's giving them is unlike any they've ever known or, or that the world can give. It's a perfect peace that can, can be peaceful in the midst of chaos. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. So basically it's it's sort of like this. Barbara and I have a little dog that's about uh, eight or nine years old. And it is a Pomeranian Chihuahua mix. It looks most more like a Chihuahua. Now, when Coco sees that bags are being packed and loaded into the car, she is ready to go, baby. She does not want to be left alone, especially if, if Barbara is leaving, my wife is leaving the home. Coco wants to go. You know, she knows it's a trip, and the suitcases are the, are the things she sees that lets her know that Hey, there's an absence coming up here, and I don't want to be part of that. Coco wants to go. 
Now she's deliriously happy when the words are announced, getting your cage, and then she knows that if she gets in her dog-carrying cage, she is, in fact, going to be going. Well, here, the disciples are like Coco, but they're not going. Jesus is packing the bag, so to speak, loading the car. He's going away. They don't know the way to where he's going. He's leaving them. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Now Jesus is about to talk about his place, not just his peace, but his place. And I want to give you a context for what we're about to read. In Israel at that time, maybe still now, I don't know, but at that time, there would be a betrothal period, which, which we might call in America an engagement period, where the, the husband-to-be would pledge his intention publicly to not only his family, obviously, but to the, to the bride-to-be and her family that he intended to marry this girl. And the speech that they would give, I believe that they've actually found writings like this, is pretty amazing. Jesus is actually using the formula here that would be used in a wedding. And remember, Jesus Christ is the bridegroom of the church, and the church is the bride of Christ. Now keep that in mind. Watch what he says in John 14, 2, and this is pretty much verbatim what the groom that was engaging this girl to marry at a time later. This is what he would announce publicly, and the whole village would gather to hear this. Everybody heard this. Verse 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, that part about I'm going to prepare a place, watch what he says in verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So in this uh, public formula of betrothal, the intention to marry the girl was announced, but I'm going away. I'm going to prepare a place where we can live, and when it's ready, I'm going to come back and get you. So this would be a period of time, and betrothals could be like a year or more maybe. I'm sure they could be shorter. But then at an unknown time, it would the, the groom would come to get the bride, and she needed to be ready and waiting. And then there would be a torchlight procession to the bride's house and the marriage would be uh, performed and consummated and all of that. And then he would take her back. uh, It was consummated, I'm sorry, at the father's house. But he would take her back to the father's house, to the place he had prepared. Okay, you get the picture? A beautiful picture, by the way. So in my father's house are many mansions. 
dwelling places is the word mansions here. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now that word place there is the Greek word tapas. We get our word topography from that, like like a, a map, you know, so you can see the uh, the lay of the land for an area. But it's a it's a physical place. In fact, I, I want to tell you about the, what this word means. I looked this up to get it exactly right. A tapas, a place in Greek, is an inherited place like a city or a village. It is a place or a spot where you can settle, abide, or dwell. Now, Jesus Christ, since he's ascended to heaven, you know, as we think of it today in 2019, as he's ascended to heaven, he has been busy preparing a place for his bride, the church. And that place is not like some ethereal cloud, cloud type, you know, foggy, misty atmosphere. It is a place where we can literally dwell and live with the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's exciting to me as I think about the fact that uh, one of my friends and former church members has passed here recently, and uh, I was thinking today that that person is free. They're in full health, and they're in the place that Jesus has been preparing. So heaven is real. It is a place just as you think about today of taking a trip and driving, let's say, from Memphis to Atlanta or from Frankfurt, Germany to um, Munich, Germany, or from Louisville, Kentucky to Cincinnati. I mean, you get the idea. There is a literal place that you're going to. So let's read this again where Christ talks about his peace in troubling times and this place that he's preparing. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So this place that he's talking about that helps give us peace, by the way, this place is a real place, and it's where he dwells. Now, I will have you know, my friends, especially if you're not very familiar yet with your Bible, Christ makes a first mention right here of what we commonly call the rapture or the carrying away of the church. Again, paralleling the picture of that bridegroom in Israel coming at some unknown point back to the bride-to-be's home and carrying her away to the father's house with a torchlight procession that the wedding may be finalized. That's the same picture right here. 
we are to live with a hope, and that doesn't mean like, oh, I hope so. I'm talking about a certain hope, a certainty. We're to live with a certainty and an anticipation of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to one day, maybe soon, with no announcement, no warning, take His bride, the church, from this world to live with Him in a place that He is preparing right now. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Now many might say, well, this, is, this refers to His second coming. Well, there in the second coming, He clearly is literally coming back to this earth. We know that His feet will touch down again on the Mount of Olives, and He will go into Jerusalem and sit on the throne of His great ancestor David, King David, because he is greater than King David. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's coming to rule this world again. And at that point, as his bride, we come back with him. And we see this in Revelation, uh, the book of the Revelation. But right here, Christ gives the first mention in the New Testament of the rapture of the church where uh, it may be alluded to some in some of his parables, but I'm talking about he's sitting right here with the disciples and he's teaching them about this event. Now, later in the Bible, he's going to inspire the Apostle Paul to tell us more in 1 Corinthians 15, 15 15th chapter, 51 through 58, and the Apostle Paul to tell us more in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, where we learn more about this event, and in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 and 2, and he inspired Paul to write Titus 2, verse 13, where the rapture is called the blessed hope, that is the happy hope of the church, and then inspired the apostle John to tell the church Uh, the Philadelphian church in the third chapter of Revelation, verse 10, that Christ would keep that church out of the hour, or you keep it from the hour that was coming to try the whole world. You can read that verse and see exactly what it says in Revelation 3.10. So more and more is shared as the, the New Testament unfolds. But right here is the first clear-cut explanation of the Lord Jesus Christ about the rapture of the church. And it does parallel the whole Jewish wedding theme. And my friends, as I read my Bible and I hear the news and I read the newspapers and I look around me, I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ will be coming for His bride, the church, a lot sooner than people think. And I'm excited about that. That gives me peace in troubling times because I know he's preparing a literal place for me to dwell. And you know how much time you took, in, in most of our cases, 
to pick out the home you live in and what the yard looks like and the paint and how it's furnished inside and all of that. Well, I personally have to believe that the place the Lord is preparing for you, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, will be something that just is exactly what you would love. Now, my, what I might like would be different from yours. And I just personally believe that what he's preparing is going to blow our minds when we see what he's done because he loves us and he cares for us. Isn't that wonderful? I hope that starting, if you're a believer in Christ, to give you peace, God's peace in troubling times. If you're not yet a believer in Christ, I hope it helps you want to be one who trusts Christ. So we, we see here in John 14, not only his peace and his place that he's preparing, but we see his promises. And we really actually start seeing that in verse 3. So let's read that again. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So it is the promise, if he goes away and he prepares this place, he will come again and gather us together with him and take us back to that place. And of course, that is in heaven that he's busy preparing. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, this is a great promise that he's going away to this place, preparing it, and let's say that you were to pass away before the Lord Jesus Christ raptures the church. Well, what would that mean? Well, he will take you to that place, say, well, I don't know the way. He is the way. If you're trusting him as your Savior and Lord, he is the way to heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto Father, unto the Father but by me. So don't be confused. There's no church that can take you to heaven. There's no uh, preacher or prophet or angel or demon. There, no one else can take you to heaven. Not your mama, your daddy, your great-grandfather, your uncle who's a preacher. Only Jesus Christ can take you to heaven. He says here, very exclusive, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So today, if you're trusting Buddha or the Mormon church or the Watchtower Society or the Baha'i religion or one of the 300 plus million gods in Hinduism or transcendental meditation or yoga or whatever, or your own good works. Boy, that's a mistake. <laughs> if you're trusting anybody or anything to get you to heaven other than Jesus Christ, you're not going. 
Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. That's exclusive. Not one of many ways, the way, meaning the only way. I am the way, the truth. He doesn't just have truth. He is the truth. If it doesn't match up and square up with Jesus and his teachings, it's a lie. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The word Zoe, where that is a a quality of life that everyone wants. He says, well, I'm that. If you want life, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Oh, friends, if you are under the misconception that Jesus never claimed to be God, Listen to what I just said, what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you're looking at me, you're looking at God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he he upbraided Philip a little bit about this. Well, he goes on. Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. 
Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judah saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Well, let's just stop right there because there's so much in these verses in John 14 from 3 to 22. Now, Jesus has spoken of the rapture of the church, but then he begins to explain a wonderful another wonderful thing and that is that if we if we've seen Jesus we've seen the father Jesus clear he he clearly claims to be God himself in human form there simply is no other way to explain what he said now, you could try to do verbal gymnastics to the point that you twist yourself into a theological pretzel to get around that. But clearly, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And that is the Father that is working these works through him. And he said, even if you don't believe me, Believe because the works you see done through me, that the Father is in me and working through me. Like, like for example, raising Lazarus from the dead only a, a little over a week or so prior to this. Lazarus had been dead four days. And he came, as the song says today, running out of that tomb. He was raised to life again by the Lord Jesus Christ. But another great thing that is taught us here in this passage is that, yes, he's going away, but he is... Now, not only in the rapture is he coming back to take his bride, the church, home. That's true. But here's an even... Now, I don't want to say more wonderful, but here is also a wonderful thing. Even before the rapture of the church, Christ will come as the Spirit of God and live in our hearts by faith. God will live in us. When, If you're a Christian today, when you got saved, the Lord Jesus Christ, by His Spirit, came to indwell you and live in you. God lives inside every true believer. And he says here, and let me, before I even explain this, let me remind you something. This, when we're reading this here in John 14, Jesus is in his earthly ministry, right? He's in a, a human body, right? He's the perfect God-man. And now today, since the Lord has ascended to heaven, 
the perfect God man is now in heaven. Man is now represented in heaven by the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> and our sins are forgiven. But now he can be, he is omniscient and omnipresent. We know this. And he indwells all believers today. But during his earthly ministry, he could only be in one place at one time, right? Because he had that human body as the perfect God-man. So when he was with the disciples on a, let's say, a tour of the cities preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, he wasn't with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, right? You see what I'm saying? Because, he, because of his human body during his earthly ministry, he could not be with all believers at one time. But guess what? Since his death, burial, and resurrection and his ascension and his sending of the Holy Spirit to indwell believers, he is now with in every believer all at the same time. Say, Brother Ed, that's such a large concept. It is. And if you and I can't wrap our small minds around it, that doesn't change the truth of it. Amen? It's just like when I came in this room where I'm recording this podcast. Uh, truthfully, I really don't understand electricity, but I hit that light switch anyway, and I'm enjoying the light because electricity is simply, it's true, right? And so I turned the light on. Well, Christ lives in us by his spirit. And he promised he would send another uh, parakletos, that is uh, another advocate or counselor, sort of like an attorney who fights for you, like a helper, if you will. But it's another one. Now that word another, there's two Greek words uh, at least for another, one is heteros, which means different. The other one is alos, which means the same kind. Guess what? This comforter that is to come to us, the Holy Spirit, Christ himself indwelling us, is another of the same kind of comforter that Jesus was in his earthly ministry except that now he literally indwells every true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he is everywhere at the same time now. He can do that now because he's not limited by that physical human body that he had in his earthly ministry. Now, Christ still has a body, but that body is even glorified and different in many ways. For example, the Lord Jesus Christ could come through locked doors after his resurrection, right? Yet he also ate food in the presence of the disciples. So there's, there's a couple of examples right there. But this, this paraclete, this Holy Spirit, another of the same kind, is Christ living in us, the Father living in us, in Colossians chapter 1, later in the New Testament, in verses 26 and 27, that's a great passage, you need to read that. 
But at the end, near the end of verse 27, it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is the assurance that we're going to live with Him forever in heaven. Why? He's already in us. Let that hit you. And it's, it's like He's made a down payment, a deposit on us, and that's, that's a guarantee that He's coming back to get us. Oh, I, I just can't even explain that better. I, I feel like I'm uh, struggling at the edges of my heart and mind to explain it, but let, let the peace of Christ give you peace in troubling times. Let the place that He's preparing help you have peace when you're in troubling times because it's a real pray, place and allow His promises to give you hope in troubling times and you can indeed be enjoying the peace of God in troubling times. There's, we could do sermons on just any one of these verses we've read and be in that for weeks without a doubt. But let's continue on. Let's go to John 14 and let's go to verse 23. And, and don't forget, by the way, that he promised that if we ask anything in his name, he will do it. And that is presupposed that we are paying attention to his word and our hearts and our minds are being conformed to the image of Christ, the will of Christ, so that we can learn how to ask for the right things. But he makes an amazing promise that that when we know his heart and mind and we ask him for something, he will grant that. Say, so, well, my prayers aren't being answered. Well, hey, maybe you're not conforming yourself to the heart and mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I know the problem is never in him, so it must be in me. So examine your heart according to the word. Maybe you are praying for and wanting something that is not in uh, harmony with his word and his will for you but when it is you can ask whatever you want and it's going to be granted explain that Ed can't it just is it's just like the electricity and the light switch I mentioned you have a choice to use the light switch and enjoy the light or sit in the darkness and the choice is yours all right, uh, John 14, let's go to verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Now, I'm going to blow your mind here just a minute. When you think of the temple that was in Jerusalem and Solomon dedicated that first temple and the glory of God filled the temple and God literally at that point indwelt that temple. You can read about that in the Old Testament. That's what he does in us. We are now the temple of God, the believer in Christ. When you believe in Christ, God comes to live in your life. You are now his 
what we might call the Holy of Holies, like the temple had. He lives in each believer now that way. Wow. Verse 24. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. So when we hear Jesus Christ teaching, for example, in John 14, 1 through 3, about the rapture of the church or the fact that he will return again and not only the rapture to take the church out, but at the end of the tribulation period, he will return to the earth to rule the earth. When he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by, uh, by me, or that is by him, by Jesus. When he says those things, that's what God the Father is saying. Let that sink in. So if you reject the words of Jesus, you are rejecting God the Father. So you need to bow the knee to King Jesus and worship God. Now, let me give you an example in our day of not keeping the sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ says marriage, God made uh, man male and female, and a man marries a woman. That's the saying of Jesus Say, so, well, I don't believe that. Well, you got a bunch of theological issues then because you're not keeping the sayings of Jesus. When someone says, well, I believe there are many roads to heaven that all religions lead to God. Uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So you, you either believe what Jesus said, his sayings, which are actually the Father's, or you don't. Now, if you, if you love his word, all of this is going to make sense to you. But if you hate his word or compromise his word or reject his word, none of this makes any sense to you. And I want to tell you, friend, mainline churches today in America are filled with multitudes of ministerial types and members who do not love the sayings of Jesus. They've created a Jesus in their own image and a Bible that suits what they want to think. And this is unacceptable to the Lord Jesus Christ. How dare we change the word of God and his teachings. Verse 25, These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, 
neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Now this, this, by the way, he said in his earthly ministry as the perfect son, the perfect God-man on the earth. Verse 29, And now I have told you before it come to pass that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. You remember we said several times that uh, I haven't counted it, but I, it probably, I probably will not be wrong in saying that the word believe is in every chapter of the Gospel of John. I'd have to go back and actually check. But it's, it's in the Gospel of John, in, depending on the form you're looking for, some form of the word believes in the Gospel of John between about 45 times and 80-something times. John's whole purpose in writing his gospel is that people might believe that Jesus Christ is God and they might be saved. Verse 30, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Who's he talking about here? Well, that would be Satan. You see, a prince thinks he's going to get a kingdom, right? He isn't the king, but he thinks he eventually he will be the king. He thinks he's going to get the kingdom. But Satan is a usurper, a uh, one who uh, launches a coup against Jesus Christ because he would be king rather than have, having Jesus Christ be king. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. So we've seen here in John 14 that the way we have God's peace in troubling times is we, we receive His peace, which is different than the world's peace. You see, the world has some version of you know, their idea of peace, which means uh, you know, everything around them has been made calm for a while. They, you know, it's all dependent on the circumstances around them. Let those get messed up and their peace is gone. You probably know people like that. You do everything they want you to do, and there's peace. You disagree or do something a little different, war breaks out. Well, the peace of God is not dependent on circumstances. It's dependent only on Jesus who gives it. So you need his peace. If you receive his peace by receiving him as Savior and Lord, then you can have a you can look forward to his place. You are going to live with Jesus Christ forever if you're trusting him as your Savior and Lord. So that gives you peace, right? No, hey, listen, 
Think about it like this. You say, Pastor Ed, today was the worst day of my entire life. Well, hey, here's good news. Your life may even get worse after today. It could, right? But but uh, your worst day here will be better than the world's best day here. You see, you see what I'm saying? This is as bad as it gets for the believer. Even, even if it reached, you know, extermination camp level terror and so forth in your life, this is as bad as it gets for the believer because we're headed for a, a better place. Amen? So with his help, I can make it through this. I can on my own, obviously, but with him, I can. So I've got his peace. He's preparing me his place that I can live in. And I've got his promises. You know, when I just need to refuel or be reminded or my peace is shaken, man, I just go right back to uh, right back to ground, right back to the word of God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know, that the 23rd Psalm, for example. I quote other scripture. When Satan or the world tells me a lie, I, I go back to the truth that Jesus is and say, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. And I'm going to trust what Jesus says, not the world. And I've got his presence with me. You know, I don't know how lost people live in this world because they do not have the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'm not perfect, very far from it, but I have the presence of God in my life. The Holy Spirit, Spirit of Christ, the Father lives in Ed Hill. Not because I said so or I'm perfect. Jesus said that. We just read it. And the same is true for you if you're a believer in Christ. So that means we have a lot of responsibility, amen? But also we, we have his presence. There have been some days which all of us have faced where when you, when you uh, scrape away all the pain and agony of that day and get right down to basic truth, you've got Jesus Christ in your life now. And nothing else really matters. The rest is just details, the way I've started feeling and thinking lately is, um, you know, I pray for people. I pray for this world. I, I witness for Christ. I do all of that stuff. But here's what I want you to hear me say. There's nothing in this world that makes me want to stay here. Nothing. Heaven is where I want to be, and the sooner that happens the happier I'll be, the better off I'll be. I can't wait to be in heaven with Jesus. Now, his plan for me may be that I go six more years or 20 more years or three more weeks. I'm all good with that. But I'm just saying, if he called me home today, I'm, my bags are packed, I'm ready to go. Not because of me, but because of him. And just having his presence in my life has not only changed my life, it's changed my eternity. You may be at a point today where you're saying, I, I just can't even believe you can think or talk like that. Death is to be 
to be feared. And, and, and by the way, I'm not necessarily talking about death. I'm okay with that. I used to fear death. I don't fear death anymore because of Jesus Christ. That's a fact. Now, how I die, that bothers me sometimes. <laughs> you know, pain or suffering. But dying is like, hey, uh, to die in this life is to wake up in heaven. I'm, I'm down with that today. I'm good with that. But to just have the presence of Christ in our life, you know, if, if the rapture were to happen next week or two years from now, I'm great, good. I don't want to put it off. I don't want to wait whenever's the right time. I'm ready because of Jesus. Now, again, even if you're a professing believer, a, a religious person, you go to church, whatever, or you don't do any of that stuff, or you're an atheist, or you're this, or you're that, whatever, you don't have the peace I'm talking about. You're looking for it, but you don't have it. I want you to have Jesus in your heart and life. I want you to surrender and turn over your life to Christ. Then you will know his peace. You'll be looking forward to his place. You will just, just love his promises and his presence is going to be, it is good and it's going to be even greater. If you need some help with that, you can email me at pastoredhill at gmail.com or you can call this number and speak with someone about becoming a Christian, about the Christian life, what it means to trust Christ. Here's the number, 888-537-8720. One more time, 888-537-8720. If you call that number, someone will speak with you about becoming a Christian, or about growing in your Christian life. Well, I thank you again for listening to God's good word. Excuse me, for listening to this week in the word. God's good word used to be a, another program, uh, another pastor and I had. So that's a, that's a flashback from way back. But thank you for listening to this week in the word. And remind friends and neighbors, family, classmates, so on, to find it at www.dredhill.podbean.com. There's no period after the DR. I think it can still be found, if I haven't been already banned, uh, on Google Play and Apple, uh, whatever, wherever you get those apps on Apple and probably other places I don't even know about. best way to go, though, is www.dredhill.podbean.com. This week in the Word. Thanks for listening. God bless you is my prayer. Have a great week. Uh, next episode will be in John chapter 15.